communicate with you, serve you any way that we can. And also, if you have prayer requests, please fill that out. Again, you can drop all that off in the offering basket as it comes by a little later in service. Well, I'm excited this morning. I think we have a powerful, just a very convicting message uh, as we continue to go through the book of James. So let's welcome to the stage, Pastor Greg. Yeah, thanks, Pastor Dave. Good morning. Welcome to church this morning. Glad none of you guys overslept. You have no excuse this morning, but we're, we're glad you're here. Uh, like Pastor Dave said, we are in the book of James. I want to get you guys ready. If you have your Bibles, uh, James chapter 3, we're going to be going through verses 1 through 12 today. Um, if you came in and, and you're new, uh, you, you got a program. We call it the Baywatch here. Um, all the verses will be there, or you can download our SBCC app, and our outline is there as well. But as we get ready for that, can I tell you about the time when my life was changed in less than five seconds? My life was changed in less than five seconds. I'll never forget that day. It was, it was in 1996. It was about 9.20 in the morning. I'll never forget about it because it was second period trigonometry class with Mr. Clark at West High. And, and as we were kind of settling in the class, I, I was sitting down, unpacking my stuff. And right across from me was, was this girl. Her name was Anne. And nonchalantly, Anne's just unpacking her stuff, and she looks at me, she says, Greg, have I ever told you I really like the way you dress? She says, I think you're probably one of the best dressed at West. And all of a sudden, everything changed. That changed the trajectory of my high school career, because from that day forward, I did everything to defend my title as one of the best dressed at West High, which existed only in my mind and maybe in her mind, but I'll tell you the truth, nobody ever said that after that day. Nobody has ever said what she said to me, but it lived with me. And from that moment, it affected the way I thought, the way I shopped, the way I woke up and approached each day. This, no joke, this true story. I told myself, okay, if I'm going to be one of the best dressed, then I can't ever repeat my outfits, right? So, so I went to the mall, and I, I, would, I would buy outfits, and I would make sure that I never repeated the same outfit in the same two-month period. Because we all know well-dressed people never repeat their outfits, right? And so, so I would buy enough clothes to, obviously, I didn't have 60 pair of pants, right? So I just had to make sure that I didn't wear the same combination and trick your mind into thinking I'm actually wearing different clothes. So if I wore this shirt with blue pants, if I had to wear it within the next two, uh, two months, I would just make sure I wore my white pants next time, maybe put a jacket over it. And uh, some of you guys are thinking, well, that's... Wow, our pastor's pretty shallow. <laughs> like, that's pretty superficial. And then, then some of you guys, don't lie, you're thinking, oh, what's wrong with that? I kind of do that too. Yeah, but do you log it in a notebook like I did, right? Because I, I literally had a notebook where I charted it, and every day, here's what I wore on top, here's what I wore on bottom, here's the shoes I wore, and I logged it just so that I could be sure. And when I think back on that time, I sulk in sorrow, and I can't believe I used to do that. I can't believe I'm telling you that I used to do that. But her words were powerful. They changed me. I was consumed by her words. I like the way you dress. It affected my self-consciousness. It affected my sense of worth. It affected my decisions. It affected my wallet, my mom's wallet. <laughs> Sorry, mom. She's like right here. That's why I went to the mall so much. But words are powerful, and you guys know that. 
Maybe you've had something said to you in the past, maybe in the way past when you were a child, and today it still plays in your mind and affects the way you act, the way you think, and the way you speak. Words are powerful. Proverbs chapter 18 tells us, we don't have the verse in your, uh, in your Baywatch, but it tells us that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Meaning that the tongue, the tongue is powerful. It has the ability to give life, and it has the ability to bring death. It has the ability to build a kingdom, and it has the potency to burn down a church. It has the strength to, to save a soul. And I've got to see that, and I've also seen they have the toxicity to send a person spiraling down in their insecurities right into depression. A tongue is a powerful thing. Today in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, we're going to be talking about taming the tongue, how we must control it. I'm titling today's message, Tongue Tied for Good. I pray that as we go through this passage, we'll, we'll see how it is we can control our tongue, tie it down for, for God's good and holy purposes. So before we get into the scriptures, would you bow and would you pray with me and let's come before him right now. Let's pray. God, we do not want to rush ahead of you and get too far ahead where we're starting to try to understand this on our own. We want to follow right behind you. You are a good shepherd. You are our teacher. You're the holder of all truth. And so Lord, we pray that you would lead us into this And God, I pray that your words would be so powerful and that your words would be my words, that they would flow right through me um, into our hearts and ears. And I I really pray that you would give us humble hearts, humble ears to hear what you have to say to us. This is so important. And so I pray that you, you give us the humility to understand that this message isn't just for the person to the right of me or to the left of me, that we wouldn't listen with our elbows this morning, that we would listen with our hearts. And so, Lord, speak to us and, and help us to be a church that uses our tongues that you have given us for your glory. And so, Lord, may your words do the work this morning. May your Holy Spirit be present with us. And so we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. We all say amen. 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 So you have your Bibles, James chapter 3. I want to read the first six verses Uh, this morning. And it goes like this. And I I know your notes might say ESV. It's actually the NIV version we'll be reading from. But it goes like this. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Well, the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. You could stop right there. I want to share with you three truths uh, from this passage. And here's the first truth I'd love for you to write down. Truth number one, the tongue must be tamed. The tongue must be tamed. Why? Well, because it is a beast. It is a beast that lives behind the enamel cage of your teeth. 
It is the most powerful part of your body. So powerful that James opens up this passage and he says, hey, listen, most of you should not be teachers. Right? Because being a teacher of God's word and that there was a, a, a position of power and prestige and privilege, a lot of people wanted that and they wanted to be teachers. He says, hey, listen, if you want to be a teacher, I would think twice about that. Why? Well, because we all have a tongue. And where's our tongue? Our tongue is in a wet place. And it's so prone to slip, isn't it? Right? It's so prone to slip and say things that we regret and wish we could take back. And if there's a position where you're going to be judged more strictly and held to a higher standard, and you're going to be scrutinized for what you see, it's, it's a teacher of God's word. Man, I've had to learn that the hard way. Um, when I, when I try to teach God's word, I, I often try to bring the audience into the scriptures, right? Because I, I, want, I want the scriptures to come alive. And so a lot of times what I'll do is I'll kind of step into the story and bring you into the story with me. And sometimes I'll start playing the part. And there's this time I was preaching about Moses and how Moses wasn't the best speaker and God was calling him to speak for him to Israel. And Moses is like, no, I can't. And, and I started trying to mimic what that would have been like for Moses, his speech problems. And so I started speaking with a stutter to kind of give the, the audience an idea of what that was like. And after that service, that Saturday night, I, I had a feeling that maybe I went too far and it was affirmed by my wife when Monica said, man, you overdid it. She said, you went too far on that. She says, tomorrow you need to tone that down. And I said, I, I, I was thinking the same thing. So the next morning, Sunday morning, two services. I told, one service, I didn't do it at all. Second service, I, just, I was really mild with it. But I learned that it was too late. Because a, a few months later, I got a letter uh, from a lady who was there that night. And in the letter, she was expressing her sadness of how much she loves this church. But that night, she was so bothered. She was so offended by the way I was presenting the word. And she said, I wanted to get up and walk out of the message right in the middle. But respectfully, she didn't. She waited for the message to, to end, but she had already checked out. And what broke my heart was she didn't just check out from the message. She checked out from our church. And she was telling me in this letter that as much as she wanted to come, she couldn't. She just could not get herself to come. And then finally, weeks and weeks and weeks went by. She finally found the strength to bring her back, herself back to South Bay Community Church. And when she came back, her comeback weekend, guess who was speaking? This guy who apparently has foot and mouth disease. Because that day she comes back, I did it again. And she was telling me in this letter, the same letter, that, that when she finally came back, I gave this illustration that in her mind, I had crossed the line and it was too offensive. And she continued to share her, her, her grievance that she loves this church so much, but the insinuation was that she could no longer sit under my teaching comfortably. And what I appreciated it was that she, she wrote this and she put her name on it and she spoke in grace and, and truth and I, I could read that, and I could, I could roll my eyes back and say, listen, Lee, you are way too sensitive. I could defend myself all day. This is just how I am. This is how I teach. You're wrong. Maybe you should find another church. Or I could humble myself before God's word and accept the reality of what James is saying, that, that words matter. 
that as a teacher of God's word, the, the things I say and the way I say these things matters. And as a teacher, I will be judged more strictly. I will be held to a higher standard. And that's what James is teaching. And, and I want to say the same is true of you. This is not just something he's putting on teachers. This is of the church, that we have to say things with grace. I, I, I'll tell you this. I, I could hear a thousand compliments, and I'll sleep like a baby at night, but I hear one nasty criticism, and I'll be tossing and turning, and I won't get a, a moment of sleep. I appreciate the way she did it with her name on it and with grace and truth, but sometimes we come anonymously or with no intent to show God's love, and, and that stuff destroys. And, and he turns it back on all of us, right? In, in verse 2, this is what he said. He said, we all stumble. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check, right? Because the Bible tells us, man, no one here is perfect. No one's perfect. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And James is just getting really specific right here. He says, we all sin with our tongue and fall short of the glory of God. We, we all sin and stumble in this way. Just as every one of us in this room will suffer from a common cold. Every one of us in here suffers from foot and mouth. We stick our foot in our mouth and we, we just say things that we shouldn't say. So just to illustrate how powerful that is and how important it is that we choose our words wisely, I love James as a teacher, as a communicator. He just gives all these illustrations, helps us understand it and see it clearly. So he gives us three illustrations. And here's the first illustration he, he gives us to, to show the power of the tongue. Number one, illustration number one, I'd love for you to write this down. The bit controls a horse. The tongue is like the bit that controls a horse. Now, how many of you guys have ever gone horseback riding in here? Anybody? Yeah? Okay, so... I went horseback riding, and it's a completely different experience than when you see a horse on TV or you see a horse in like a, a, a coloring book, right? It, it could be beautiful and majestic as it gallops through the grass fields, and it's like, oh, a horse. But when you are up close and personal with a horse, it is not the calmest experience if it's your first time. It wasn't for me. And I'm next to this horse, and it was in that moment when I realized this animal is so much bigger than me, and this animal can have its way with me. It could. Like, why in the world would I climb on this guy's back? Like, this guy can fling me into the horizon. This, this animal can take off running in any direction. This animal, this horse can horse kick me. Have you ever seen a horse horse kick someone? I was going to show you guys a video of a horse kick. You can look it up on YouTube, but it's, I conclude it's way too graphic for church. It's, it does damage. And the only reason why I would climb on the back of this animal is because of a little itty bit that looks like this, a little bit that goes in the horse's mouth, this little itty bit. And with that instrument, I have this confidence of knowing that I can climb on this animal's back and know that it's going to be subdued, it's going to be controlled, and it's going to go wherever I want it to go. It's a little bit. James is saying that's what the tongue is like. It's small, but, it, but it, it can have great impact. He says, man, he takes it to the next level. If you think a horse is big, he says, man, consider a ship. A ship is so much bigger, it can transport a herd of horses. And yet the ship is controlled and steered by the rudder. Would you guys write this down? Illustration number two, the rudder steers the ship. 
a huge ship that can contain tons of horses is directed by this relatively small little flap, if you will, of a rudder. Wherever the pilot wills, wherever he directs it, that little rudder will direct where it goes. And so his, his illustrations are clear. What he's saying is the tongue can boast great things because of the big things it can do. This small thing can boast great things because of the big things it can do. And yet he goes on to say that with great power comes great potential to do great destruction. Something so powerful that can be used for good can also be used for bad. And, and he gives us one more illustration. Do you guys remember just a few months ago, July 27th, a fire broke out in California, the biggest fire in California's history, the Mendocino Complex Fire. It was just a few uh, months ago, July 27th, it began, and it took two months to contain it 100%. They couldn't contain it until September 18th, which was just like a month and a half ago. And this Mendocino fire burned over 459,000 acres of, of our state, $257 million in, in damage, our history's largest wildfire. How in the world did this destruction happen? Well, the New York Times will tell you it was a man who was hammering a fence post and a spark flew amidst dry vegetation, and all of a sudden, 459,000 acres of California went up in flames. That's crazy to me. And yet James says, that's what the tongue is like. Illustration number three, would you write this down? A spark that ignites a fire, a forest. The tongue is like a spark that ignites a forest. Look what verse five says. It says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body, corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. And so what he's saying is the tongue is, is like the spark. It's a fire. And, it, and just by saying the wrong thing, you can set one's life on fire. Your life or the life of somebody else you're talking to or talking about, you can set them on fire just by saying the wrong thing. You can change the course of their lives. Or maybe not just an individual person, but maybe a multitude of people. It, it can affect an entire community. It can destroy a family. It can burn down a church. And when it does, when it causes such destruction, what is James saying? He says in verse 6, he says that when it does, it's being set on fire by hell. It itself is set on fire by hell. And when I first read that, I'm like, well, what does that even mean? What do you mean it's set on fire by hell? Well, doing further study, what James is saying is that when your tongue is used for destruction and to devastate, that fire is being set by the very pit of hell. Meaning it's the devil who is influencing that. The devil is the arsonist. Like God, God wants to use this tongue that he gave us, that he created in us. He wants to use it to build and to bless. And yet the devil wants to steal the tongue to use it to curse and to destroy. And that's his agenda. His native tongue is deceit. And so how in the world does this arsonist, the devil, want to commandeer our tongues and use it for his purposes. So let me give you a couple. I, mean, I could go on and on this morning, but let me just give you a couple. Let's start with gossip. 
Why, because gossip destroys the church. What is gossip? Well, it's, it's revealing personal or sensitive information about another person without their knowledge or their permission. It, it's, it's me telling you, Gail, something about, about Sherry that she doesn't know I'm saying to you without her permission, whether it's true or not. That's gossip. And slander is when you take gossip and you're defaming that person. Both, the Bible says, God hates. Both God hates. A woman uh, in the church, she wanted to share something about her friend. She thought it was very interesting, a little bit juicy, and so she shared it with other people in the church without her permission, and she shared it, and all of a sudden, it started to go from this person to that person. That person said, hey, don't tell anybody I told you this, but this is what I heard, and that person went to someone else and said, hey, don't tell anybody I told you this, but just between us, this is what happened, and all of a sudden, it just spread, and as it went along, the story began to change, and all, all these stories and all its variations got back to this lady's friend, and when she heard what was being said, she was angry. You get that, right? Rightfully so. She was angry and she felt betrayed. And when she found out that it came from and originated in her friend, man, there's so much anger. So even though they went to the same church, she couldn't even look at her, didn't even want to talk to her. And this lady who, who started this, this news and who started this rumor or this gossip couldn't understand. It's not like what I said about her was bad. It's not like I was defaming her. Why is she so mad? So she went to the pastor and told the pastor what happened and asked for some wisdom. Pastor heard the story. He said, follow me. And he takes her to the fourth floor of the church, takes her right onto the rooftop and has her look over the ledge. And the pastor takes out a knife. He takes out a pillow and he gives it to her. He says, I want you to cut open this pillow. She says, okay. It's strange, but she cuts open the pillow. He says, now, I want you to dump out all the, all the feathers, every last feather, dump it out over the ledge. And so she listens to her pastor, and she just dumps it all out, every last feather, and they just start to float down onto the church grounds, and the gust of wind comes and, and picks it up and blows some even beyond the church ground, and all of a sudden, there's all these feathers. He says, now, I want you to go down to the first floor, and I want you to collect every last feather, get them all back, and I want you to restore this pillow. She's like, that's crazy. So there's no way, there's no way I could get every last feather and restore this pillow. You saw it, some blew away, it's out of my reach. He says, and that is the destruction of gossip. He says, man, it's easy to let it out. It's easy to let it out, but it is impossible to get back what you just let out. It's impossible to undo the, the variations of the story. It's, called. it's impossible to bring back the way it is spread. It's impossible to, to undo the hurt that you've caused. It's impossible to undo what people now think about your friend. You might think the same way, but they might think differently. It's impossible to do, and thus is the effects of gossip and there's no wonder why when gossip happens, people will walk away from relationships and people will walk away from church and some, God forbid, will walk away from the faith. The Bible makes it very clear, God hates gossip. God hates gossip. What about criticism? Let's talk about criticism a little bit. And I'm not talking about constructive criticism because there is a place for that kind of criticism that builds up, but I'm talking about destructive criticism. 
right? This kind of remarks and comments that just are intended to tear a person down. Like I've met some people, I've met some people who can be so nice, right? Just the nicest people in person and will say the nicest things. And then, and then behind the screen, they're mean, right? And, 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 and I see almost like a split personality where it's like, where are these words coming from? You never talk like this in person and they can just go at it. And, and I wonder if we understand that when James talks about taming the tongue and he's talking about the power of the tongue, it's not just words that you say to a person's face, but it's also words that you say on your Facebook. It's not just talking about your spoken words. It's also talking about your written words, what you write on your social media, what you write in your email, what you write in your text, what you write on your comment cards here at South Bay Community Church. I have seen comments said and written that have been so destructive. Where where you read it, it's clear, it's apparent that there's zero intent on the from the person who's writing it or saying it, there's zero intent on encouraging the person they're talking to or talking about. There's zero intent to see God's work in this person's life. There's zero intent to see good change in this person. It's pretty apparent that the intent is to tear down. I wanna ask you, church, be aware of your words, whether it's spoken or written. Think about the way you criticize your kids because that's so common in our house. the way you talk to your spouse or your coworkers or your leaders, even your pastors. Because some of the things that, that are said, I think we can listen to it and there's no evidence. It's pretty apparent that you haven't prayed much for the person you're saying that about or saying that to that the intent is just to get out what you want and somehow there's like this hidden satisfaction that, that you have in tearing this other person down rather than seeing them built up. That kind of tongue, I believe James would say, is set on fire by hell. That the devil is the arson and he's trying to destroy. I, I could go on and on. I had some things lined up that I wanted to talk about. Coarse joking, foul language, deceit, untruth, half-truths, quarreling, boasting. But, but I think the point is clear. James is very clear on this point. The tongue is powerful, and the tongue must be contained. It must be controlled. We have to tie down our tongues and tame it for good, not for evil. Well, now that being said, look how James goes on, okay? Verse 7 and 8, he goes on in this passage. The next thing he says is, all kinds of animals and birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. Great, thanks. Would you underline that, verse 8? But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So here's truth number two. You can't tame the tongue. We just talked about you, you, you must tame the tongue. The tongue must be tamed Truth number two, you can't tame the tongue. And it's kind of like, oh, thanks a lot, James. Like, really, like, you just spent all this time telling us how powerful it is and how destructive it can be, implying that we got to tame this thing. And then you go, oh, and by the way, let me just throw this in there. Nobody can tame the tongue. It's like, thanks. Why even talk about this? 
Why even include this in scripture? Isn't this a waste of space? And then it's almost like he kind of rubs it in, right? A little bit like rubbing it in. Oh, and by the way, every beast and bird has been tamed, and animal on land and sea has been tamed by man. And I'd say amen to that. I'd say amen. I've seen that. When, when I was in eighth grade, uh, my family, my family, we went to Thailand for a mission trip. And I remember we landed in Bangkok, and one of the first things they did was they took us to the crocodile farms, right? And, and this is like a big thing in Thailand, and there's all these crocodiles, right? And these trainers would hold these shows, and they would play tricks with these man-eating crocodiles. And, and one of the tricks that they do, this is like their most famous trick, is the trainer will stick his head into the mouth of the crocodile. He just sticks his head into the mouth of the crocodile. And, and when you're there in person and you're seeing this right in front of you, I can't even explain to you what's going on in your heart right now. Like one of the things I'm thinking is, who was the first guy to ever think I wonder if I could stick my head in this crocodile. I wonder if this crocodile will let me stick my head. And yet, they pull it off. Like, who thinks of this? And yet, they pull it off. And, and, and hundreds of times each day, these crocodile trainers will stick their heads in the, in the mouth of crocodiles. It's, it's amazing. I've seen families like the Polinko family in, in Russia tame a bear domesticate the bear and, and make Stefan a part of their own family where he eats meals with them at the table and he, he dances waltz with any lady. It's like the most amazing thing. People are awesome, <laughs> amen, right? And, and since Genesis 3, God says, you will tame the, the creatures of the earth. I, I've seen elephants learn how to paint pictures, get trained how to paint portraits of elephants way better than I could ever paint an elephant. People are awesome. And yet, no man or woman can seem to tame the tongue. No human being can wrestle down this little beast behind this enamel cage called the tongue. James says it's restless and it's evil, it's deadly and it's toxic. No human being can tame it. So why? James, why even talk about this? Why start off by saying the tame must be tongue, uh, the, the tongue must be tamed, and then say that no human being can tame it? Because here is where we realize we are desperate for God. Here's where we realize we come to the end of ourselves and we need God. See, because God can tame the tongue, because he can change our hearts. Would you guys write that down? Truth number three. God can tame our tongue because God can change our heart. And so he concludes. He doesn't leave us hanging. He concludes with this, this core truth. He leaves us with this core truth, and, and it's this, that your tongue is tied to your heart. Your tongue is tied to your heart. And this is something his big brother Jesus taught all the time. Remember, Jesus would say, out of your heart, your mouth, what? Speaks. Out of your heart, your mouth speaks. What's in the heart is what comes out. And so James just reiterates Jesus' teaching in verse 9 to 12. We'll close out this passage. It says this, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives 
or a grapevine bear figs? No. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And so what he's saying is, you guys know this. You can't, you can't praise God with your tongue and then curse man with your tongue. Blessing and cursing are two polar opposite things. In the Bible, blessing and, and cursing go against each other. Blessing means to give good things. Blessing or cursing means to give evil or to desire evil things. And the same cannot come from the same source. The same cannot come from the same source. So when you curse a, a brother or a sister in this context, it's not talking about merely cussing at the person. When it says you, when you curse a human being, it's talking about desiring evil or ill will upon them. And James is saying, listen, if our hearts are surrendered to the Lord and we've given our hearts over to God, then there's no way you can give your, your tongue and surrender your tongue over to the devil. You can't do that. So what's, what's at the heart? And what James' main point is, is that when you dial it all back, and you get to the source, and you get to the core of what that thing is, then you will know what that thing will produce. So if, if you get to the core, you dial it back, and you find out it's a salt pond, you're going to get salt water out of your springs. So if you dial it back, and you find out the tree at its roots, it's a fig tree, you're going to get figs out of its branches. He says, you dial it back to your heart, what kind of heart do you have? Is it full of God? Then godly things will come out. If you dial it back and you have an evil heart, then evil things should come out. That makes sense. How many of you guys have ever suffered from a case of foot and mouth, right? And, and, and you, you, you said something that, ah, oh, I shouldn't have said that. And, and you realize it too late and you try to grab it back. And what do you say? You say, I'm, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. When what you really should be saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for saying what I really mean. Because you meant it. That's what's in your heart. It just came out, and you weren't able to control your, your tongue. So listen, I, I think it's, it's good. We should practice this. We should try to control our tongue and, and, and make sure we don't say certain things, and we do say certain things in other situations. That's okay. That's good. But I think our main concern and our greatest priority is to make sure our heart is right, that we surrender our hearts to God and allow him to transform and sanctify our hearts because if our heart is good and godly, then so shall our words be. And so this is, the, this is the main priority. You can manipulate your speech and you could change the F word into another kind of F word and make it sound a little better, but you can, you can manipulate your speech in any given moment, but you could still be standing sinful before the Lord. And so God, come into my heart and change this. So what comes out reflects this. I want to I wanna share with you one challenge for the rest of this message. I want to challenge you, surrender your hearts to the Lord. Give it to him. Ask him to change it. And the way, way we can do this is to stop and think before you speak. Stop and think before you speak. And when I say think, I'm not talking about this independent, individual, cognitive exercise. I'm talking about this intentional exercise where you come before God, the God of your heart, and ask him to work in your heart. It's an acronym. Think. It's an acronym. So when you're about to say something to another person or say something about another person, stop and ask, first of all, T, God, is this true? Like, come before God in prayer and ask, God, is this true? Like, what I'm about to say, is it legit? 
is it verifiable? Does it, does it have integrity? Or is it kind of maybe not so true? And I would say, God, search my heart, know my heart, test it. And if this is true, convict me. And I think the Holy Spirit is powerful enough and, and wise enough and omniscient enough to know when your heart is filled with a half-truth or an untruth. I think he has the power to actually stop you and convict you and say, you better not say that. I also believe that the Holy Spirit has the ability to say, yeah, no, I affirm it. It's true. Preach on. Speak on. But God, is, is it true? I think a, a good way to test it and ask the Lord is, is, as I'm about to say this, am I willing to be quoted on this? Right? Can I be quoted on this? If I'm going to tell Cynthia something about Adrian, would I allow Cynthia to go to Adrian and quote me on that? Yeah, go ahead. Tell him Greg Moss said it. If not, don't say it. Am I okay with saying something or posting something and have you share it and let it go viral and letting you quote me on it? If not, don't write it. So is it true? Because when it's not true, that's how rumors start and that's what destroys. Even when it is true, that's how some rumors start. But we start there as a truth. Second of all, H, God, is this helpful? What I'm about to say, is it helpful? Because Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful. Circle that word. What is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Circle the word benefit. So I'm about to say something right now. But God, does it help? Does it benefit? Does it build up the person listening to me right now? Because you guys realize you, you could say something and have a good intention, but the way you say it matters. So, so I'm not even talking about the content, but I'm talking about also the tone and the manner in which you say it. Like you could say the same thing and destroy a person, or you could say the same thing and, and build up a person. When I started preaching on a regular basis, this is about 2006, I was on rotation at my previous church, and I just started preaching regularly. And um, at the end of the year, uh, we would get evaluations. All the leaders got evaluations, and they would tell you how you're doing. And remember, I, I got this evaluation. I'm reading through them, and there's this one comment that said, when Greg teaches, it's a little too childish for me, and it's hard for me to follow along. And I read that, I'm like, oh, that's so painful, right? Like, oh, man, like, basically, they're, they're, they're telling me that, that it's, it's weak, it's shallow. So all of a sudden, I have all these feelings of insecurity and self-consciousness and inadequacy. And then the next time I have to preach after that, it's like, oh, how am I going to go up there? Like, what's this one person going to think? Which, by the way, I didn't even know who it was. It was anonymous. So I couldn't even talk to them about it. But then later on, there's this other sister in our church. And she came up to me and she said this. She said, Greg, you know, I love those moments uh, in your teaching when it's like it challenges us and it stimulates our thinking and, and it causes us to wrestle with the scriptures. She says, I, I, I love that. And, and I want to just tell you, don't hold back. Like, give us more of that because that, that is so good. And, and when I heard that, that was encouraging. And, and I realized that these two people said the same thing. That what these people are longing for is more depth and more meat. One person just caused me to feel insecure about it. One person, it was like an invitation. It was an affirmation. I know you can do it. I've seen you do it. I've benefited from it. Give us more. Two of the same things, but said in different ways, 
and had different effects. So God, as I'm about to say this, is it helpful? Does it benefit and build up? Then think about it. I, God, what is my intent? God, what, what's the motive in my heart? When I was in college, I was a lot more uh, loud and extroverted and outgoing than I am today. I was, just, I was just loud, and I would mess around with people, and I was always trying to make people laugh. And I remember one time a sister in our fellowship, it was our college fellowship, she came up to me and had this car, uh, conversation with me, and she said, you know, Greg, I, I just got to bring something up. I feel like when you talk to people, sometimes you come off a little flirtatious, she says, especially when you talk to, to girls, it's like, it's a little flirtatious, and I think you might tend to lead people on. And when she said that, immediately walls went up. I was defensive. I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't lead people on. I'm such a pure guy. Like, I, I'm just, that's just how I am. I'm, I'm just loud, and I like to make people laugh and make people feel good. That's just who I am. Don't make me change who I am. I just defended myself, shot it down. I'll never forget that Wednesday night when I was with a few brothers from my fellowship. It was just three of us, and we were having this accountability time, and we were listening to this message um, by some pastor, and we're listening to it, and it was all about the motives of the heart. And he challenged us to think about why do we say what we say, and why do we say it in the way we say it? Is it to benefit those who listen, or is it benefiting the one who's speaking? And somehow in that room, as we're listening to this, this message, the Holy Spirit just grabbed a hold of my heart, and he brought back that conversation that the sister brought up with me, and he helped me to see that there were hidden motives in my heart, that there was something in me that truly was speaking, not for the benefit of those hearing me, but for the one speaking, that, that simply put, I like to be liked. I want it to be liked. And even if I had no intention of being in a relationship with anyone in particular, it made me feel good about myself if I knew I could win a person's heart. And the Holy Spirit showed me the disgusting things in my heart, how I could selfishly benefit myself at other people's expense, at their cost. Man, that night, I remember I confessed this when I realized it to these, these brothers of mine, and we, we made a pact that night, and I, love, I loved what we agreed on. And it was this phrase, I'll never forget it. It said, we said, moving forward from now on, from this point forward, we're going to be skeptical of everything we say. Not in a bad way. Not to second-guess ourselves in a bad way, but to be skeptical. Why am I saying what I'm saying to you? Like, what's the motive of my heart? Who am I trying to benefit? God, what is my intent? Then think, think before you speak. And God, is this necessary? God, is this necessary? Like, do I need to say this? I mean, think about it. How would the situation change if you didn't say what you were about to say? Would it still be okay? Would it change for the good or the worse? Would it matter if I held my tongue? And sometimes I think we're going to realize that we talk a lot more than we need to. I'm guilty of this. Right, sometimes we talk and we're just trying to fill the air. I'm just trying to get something in on this conversation, and a lot of it's just so unnecessary. And I think if we, if we said only what we needed to say, I think a lot of us would talk a whole lot less. Amen? We'd talk a whole lot less, and that's not a bad thing. Right? This is what Proverbs says, Proverbs 17, 27. 
And 28 says, The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silence and discerning if they hold their tongues. It's not bad to be a person who doesn't speak much because you're restraining your tongues. Even fools will be thought of, oh, I think he's pretty wise because he's holding his tongue. And that may be a good practice. I was thinking about this. Maybe, maybe if we added this phrase into our conversations and into our speech, it might help us to discern if it's necessary or not. If you would add just these words, and I'm telling you this because dot, dot, dot. Like, try that. Next time you share something, I'm telling you this because dot, dot, dot. Hey, did you guys hear that, that new girl at church? Uh, that Nicole girl, yeah, I heard she's had five husbands, and the one she's living with now isn't her husband. And I'm telling you this because, oh, so that we could pray for her and lift her before the throne. You know, let's just surround her with love. No, you're going to realize that's not really why I'm telling you this. It feels good to tell you this. Or, you know, it, it's been so busy. Yeah, I've been, oh, man, it's been a rough year. But a good one, God's been, he's been blessing, you know, in my business. I, I probably will make a million dollars this year. Yeah, I'll probably make a million dollars. And I'm telling you this because because it makes me feel good that you envy me. Right? When we stop to think, why am I saying it? Do I need to say it? Is it necessary? You're going to find that a lot of the things we say is it's just not necessary. It's not needed. So God, search my heart. Is it necessary? Finally, the last thing, God, God, please show me. Is this kind? Is it kind? Like what I'm saying, is it, does it reflect the kindness of the Savior that lives in my heart? Colossians 4, 6, Paul says this, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. That's good. Circle that phrase, seasoned with salt. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I love how he uses that because in the, pic the picture there is back in the day, a lot of the food was pretty bland and not super tasty unless you seasoned it with salt. And salt was this additive that would bring out flavor in something, it, it would give it a, a good taste that's appetizing and appealing and attractive. And he's using this picture. When you speak, man, Christians, you ought to speak in a way that's salty, that, that's appealing and attractive and making the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ something that people want, whet their appetites. It should be flavorful. And kindness does that. So God, when I'm speaking, what I'm saying, is it making Christ appetizing to people? Does what I say, what I post, does it, does it make people want to, to ask more about Christianity? Or when I rip on that politician or bash that particular group, does that make people, does that really make people say, wow, I want that person's heart? The way he rips into that person, man, I want to be able to do that. Or does it make them go, it's distasteful. What kind of people talk like that? The person's a Christian? I want nothing to do with that. How well are we representing our Christ by what we say, by what we speak, by what we post? Christians, we must be kind in our words so that the gospel of Christ will be seasoned with salt. So let that be a challenge to us. Let's think before we speak. And I know you're not going to go through this whole list every time you want to say something, but maybe one or two of these really stands out and is pertinent to you and the way you talk. But, but how can we think 
and invite God into our hearts to change it and influence what we say. Because James says this, this is the clear message, our tongues are fire. It's not a choice of yours. Your tongue is a fire. It has great power to do great things. And as I think about this, you know, what I realize, I realize not all fires are bad. You guys realize not all fires are bad, that sometimes there's this thing called controlled fires. You guys know what controlled fires are? Prescribed burns where foresters will intentionally set an area on fire on purpose for good. And they'll, they'll, they'll set these fires and they'll control it to deal with weeds and shrubs in order to prevent forest fires, wildfires. And another benefit of controlling these fires is that it, it provides nutrients and paves the way for even greater plant growth, kind of like this picture, before the controlled fire and then after. The kind of life that can flourish when the fire is under control. Fire is not necessarily bad. I think about Acts chapter 2. Remember that time when for the first time the full presence and manifestation of God upon his church came down. What do we see? People had tongues of fire. And that was the first time God was saying, I am with my people, I am in my people, and they shall go forth with the gospel of Christ. Tongues of fire. And in this day, in this age, in this context, in this community, we all have tongues. We all have tongues. And James says, your tongue is fire. And yet, if our tongues can be controlled, and God can make his presence fully here with us, he can come among his people and go forth and do great impact for his kingdom and his glory. The devil wants to use our tongue to completely devastate or our tongues could be under control of the God who lives in us, fully manifesting his presence in us. So church, let's think before we speak. Let's be desperate for the God in our hearts to work in our hearts. Because if God is there, it will be reflected in our speech. So help us, God. Amen? Help us, God. May our tongues be controlled and tamed and tied for good. Amen? Amen. Would you guys bow and pray with me? I want to give you a moment to just uh, spend talking to God. Use your words, the words of your hearts, and, and just confess. Maybe you have seen the devil use your words to do harm. Just confess that right now. Acknowledge it and say, God, yeah, I've messed up. I've said that to my spouse. I said that to my kids. I did say this about that person. And just confess. And as you do that, when you're ready, receive the grace and the forgiveness of God. He's able to forgive, but also redeem. He's able to now use your tongue, to overpower your tongue and use it for good, to give life, to save souls, to build up, and ask him that he would use it for good.
And so, Lord, here are our tongues, but more importantly, here are our hearts. Lord, we want to give it to you, Lord, and ask you to have your way in us. God, we pray that you would continue to sanctify us and, and, and purify us, God. Continue to dwell in us and have your way in us, Lord, so that what we say and what we do would truly reflect the beauty and the kindness of our Savior. God, we pray that by the words we say, even in this coming week, even today, Lord, that we would see what it can do for, for good. And so, Lord, let us be a church. Let us be a church that is the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We can only do this with your strength and your power. We're desperate for you, God. And so have your way in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, thank you, Pastor Greg, just for uh, man, a really convicting and powerful message. And as we were coming to this passage in James, you know, every time I read this, uh, you know, I can't help but just cringe because I think of all the things I've said or I do um, that are really just insensitive or hurtful to people. And I think, you know, this is one of those passages that no matter where we are in life, no matter what life stage, um, we all struggle with this to some degree, you know, and, and maybe it's even, as Pastor Gray was sharing, you know, the words don't come out of our lips, but the thoughts are in our mind. You know, I'm, as Pastor Gray was sharing, you know, really that that's, uh, comes from our heart, you know, from our heart to our thoughts and from our thoughts to our lips. And, in just a moment, we're going to receive an offering. And, uh, you know, this is one of those things as well that really comes from the heart. You know, whether it's giving back to God, whether it's singing songs of worship, which we'll do in just a few minutes, which is acts of service, and really examining our hearts. Is our heart, it's what's coming from our heart where it needs to be. And as we give back to God, you know, I know for many of us sometimes, you know, we, we give uh, because, you know, we're supposed to, because we have to, or it's just something that we do. Um, but the reason why we pray before we do this is because I think we want, myself and all of us here, we want to be giving just with the right heart attitude. That what we're giving is from a heart of thanks, that what we're giving is just with the hope that God would use it to bless people. And so I ask that you would pray that right alongside me as we pray. Father, please pray with me, church. Father, thank you for, uh, you know, just the book of James. Right? I think we look at it and uh, there's so much just practical, um, convicting scriptures in there, Lord, um, that give us instruction in our lives. And Father, our heart is such an important thing. Everything just boils out of our heart, Lord, um, to our actions, to, to our thoughts, to our words. I pray as we give back to you this morning, Lord, that, that we would just really meditate on what we're giving you. you know, whether it's singing songs of praise to you, whether it's serving you, um, whether it's giving monetarily, Lord, that we're all be coming from just a genuine, true place. Uh, Lord, we pray that whatever we give you this morning, that you would use it to bless your kingdom, Lord. It's our desire that more people would know the truth of who you are and how much you love them and how that changes our lives. We love you, Father. We praise you. We want to continue to sing songs of worship to you this morning. We pray all this in your precious name. Amen. Amen.